Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Our memory verse for the month, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is our text for the sermon today. I would encourage you to open it up in your copy of Scripture, though. We will read it once more here in just a moment. Uh, And we might reference some other places, we'll reference some other places through the book of Romans. On August the 10th, 1628, Captain Sofring Hansen took the helm of the Swedish warship Vasa and set sail for its maiden voyage. Thousands upon thousands watched as the ship fired cannons and the pomp and the circumstances befitting a ship of the Royal Navy. This particular ship had been commissioned by King Gustavus Adolphus himself He had several different ornate designers and uh, artists spend more than two years sculpting all of the elements that were on the outside of the ship. They made sure that it was beautiful, that it was gorgeous, that it was ordained uh, in a way that was truly breathtaking. It was supposed to be representative of His Majesty as a king, of the Royal Navy there in Sweden. As the ship took, went out of port and it uh, received a little bit of breeze from the wind, it sailed about a mile and a mile into its voyage, the wind took up and blew the sails just a little farther than they had anticipated. Far enough where the ship leaned over and water went into the gun ports. Less than a mile into its maiden voyage, years into making, the Vasa sunk. Fifty people died, a king's pride was ruined, and the ship was destroyed. All because the ballast of the ship was insufficient. The ballast is weight in the bottom of the ship, designed to make sure that the ship doesn't tip too far one way or the other in rolling seas or with too much wind. The king and the artists and the captain and all that were responsible for the design of the ship were concerned about the outward beauty. They were concerned about the cannons and they were concerned about the artistry. They failed to pay attention to the most significant part of the ship, the ballast that would keep it upright in storms and in gales. So it is with us if we merely look at the practical, the outward, and the ritualistic aspects of private and corporate worship and neglect the heart. Folks, if we as individuals or we as a church get the ceremonial, get the ritual, get the beautiful, get the outward, get the visible parts of our worship experience right, whether that's in a worship service or whether that's in the privacy of our own homes, if we get those things right, and yet don't get the heart right, don't get the purpose right, don't get the focus right, Don't get the biblical expectation right. 
then we're in just as much danger of sinking spiritually as that ship was nearly 400 years ago. The text we've already quoted and we're going to look at today is Paul's, in a sense, magnum opus about the gospel. That's the book of Romans. In this particular set of verses, these two verses are the the kind of culmination of Paul's gospel communication in chapters 1 through 11, his theological explanation of our need for God and our need for His forgiveness and His work in our lives. And then he transitions, Paul transitions to say, here's what I've been telling you about God and His gospel and our need for the gospel. And now here's what we do with it. And the very first thing that Paul says that we are to do with the gospel is worship. His very first practical advice is about our spiritual worship. It's about who who you and I as followers of Jesus are to be. He uses worship language, ritualistic, ceremonial language, living sacrifices, presenting our bodies. He's picking up on Hebrew ideas, writing to a church that would have been full of Jewish believers and full of Gentile believers alike. He's using Jewish imagery saying, here's what we're to do, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And imagery is designed because God wants us to give him the only thing he expects, which is us, which is our bodies. How could God ask such a thing? Ultimately, folks, God asks us to give our bodies as living sacrifices because Christ gave his body as a dying sacrifice. His dying sacrifice makes our living sacrifice possible, meaningful, and worshipful. What God asks of us through the Apostle Paul in this text of Scripture, what he expects of us as followers of Jesus, is only possible because of the first 11 chapters that Paul has dictated or written out in the book of Romans detailing for us what Jesus did for us on the cross. God's not asking you a sinner to do something that only that, that, that you can do in and of your own strength. No, God's asking us as Christians to respond to what Jesus has done for us and see what it is that Paul asks of us. Let's return to the text, read it one more time, and get a sense for what it is that God expects of us as worshipers. Our worship is to be both theological grounded in the very truth of God and His gospel and His word, and also doxological. In other words, it is something that results in praise. Look back at chapter 11, the last part of it. Paul, after speaking about theology, detailing theology, discussing issues that make our brains hurt, read chapters 9, 10, and 11, he issues praise because praise flows out of the very truth of what God has said to us in Scripture. So Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. It's an appeal. It's a request. It is is using a term of endearment, but a term of, of, of desire. Listen, brothers, I appeal to you, brothers, family members. We're a part of God's family. Those that know Jesus, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to notice with me four aspects of Christian worship that flow from this text that carry with it the idea that worship is both theological and doxological. Here's the first. 
Notice the expectation of worship. The expectation of Christian worship is simply this. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's what God asks of us. Certainly we're commanded in Scripture to sing and we're commanded to praise. We're commanded to give of our abundance. We're commanded to be here, to be present. We're commanded all sorts of things to do in the aspects of Christian worship. We're commanded to open God's Word. We're commanded to read it. We're commanded to understand it. We're commanded to apply it. Paul cuts through all of those outward pictures and practices of what Christian worship can be. Cuts through all of that and simply says, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Because there's not a thing you can do practically, ceremonially, ritually in worship that you do outside of your body. Presenting your body is simply saying, everything that God has done for me in saving me, I'm going to present back to Him in Christian worship. And this isn't just a text about what happens in the worship service. God's not just asking of us, present your bodies a sacrifice when you go to church on Sundays. He's saying to us, present your bodies as living sacrifices, and there's no qualification. There's no starting point. There's no ending point. There's no time frame when that's supposed to happen. It happens on Sunday morning from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Or it happens on Monday from 8 to 9. No, it present your body's a living sacrifice. It is to be permanent. It is to be willful. It is to be intentional. It is to be always. Folks, the expectation of Christian worship is God has asked you if you're a part of his family, in light of the gospel that he has saved you with, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Everything you are, everything I am, we're to present back to God in Christian worship. It is staggering what Paul asks in the text. John Stott puts it this way, what, however, is this living sacrifice? What is this rational spiritual worship? He notes it's not to be offered in the temple courts or the church building, but rather in the home life in the marketplace. It's the presentation of our bodies back to God. This blunt reference to our bodies was calculated to shock some of Paul's Greek readers. Brought up on Platonic thought, they will have regarded the body as an embarrassing encumbrance. Their slogan, that is the slogan of those Greeks, was soma sima estin, or in other words, the body is a tomb in which the human spirit was imprisoned uh, and from which they longed for escape. Still, some Christians today, Stott writes, feel self-conscious about their bodies. What I think is utterly amazing is when Paul said this to the church at Rome, he's writing to Jews and, and Jewish background Christians as well as Greek background Christians. Part of the reason he wrote the book of Romans was to create some kind of uh, sense of unity in the midst of some division that was going on in the church. He wanted them to make sense of the gospel and how the gospel brings unity together. And so Paul says, I want you to present your bodies. Now the Jewish background Christians understood that the body is a, is a realistic expectation of a, of a spiritual whole. In other words, we are both our body and our soul. God put those things together. That's Jew, a Jewish worldview. In a Greek worldview, they didn't think that. In Platonic dualistic thought, the body was just an encumbrance. And that kind of ideology has taken shape in dualistic forms all throughout uh, human history. Not the least of which we're seeing it today in the concepts 
with trans activists and others who would say, we are not our body. In other words, one particular trans, a trans activist claims, I am not my body. A particular Catholic feminist author writes, God does not care what we do with each other's bodies. He only cares whether we treat each other as persons. The problem with those kind of concepts as they, as they affect the, the idea of personhood theory is the fact that you and I, as humans, cannot divorce our interior part of ourselves from the bodies in which we, are, we live in. God gave us both. You are more than your body, but you're not less than your body. Now, for some of us, that's a great thing, right? If our bodies are healthy, and if our bodies are vibrant, and if our bodies have energy. But for some of us who struggle with health, or with vibrancy, or with energy, we're like, man, if God wants me to give my body back to Him, well, He ain't getting much. He's getting everything you are if He gets your body, though. That's the point. As Christians, we ought to have a very high view of the body because God intends to resurrect the body and give us full embodied eternal life. Nancy Piercy puts it this way, the biblical ethic expresses a rich concept of the whole person as an embodied being. She goes on to write, Christianity assigns the human body a much richer dignity and value. Humans do not need freedom from the body to discover their true authentic self. Rather... We can celebrate our embodied existence as a good gift from God. And instead of escaping from the body, the goal is to live in harmony with it. Christian worship, the goal is to take those bodies that God has given us, good, bad, and different, and present them back to Him as a gift of worship. Now some of you who listened last week to my sermon from John chapter 4 where Jesus said, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. are going to be thinking like, what in the world is pastor talking about today? Last week he talked about interior worship, spirit and truth. Now he's saying we're to present our bodies back to God as an act of living sacrifice. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. The point last week was not that we're not to worship in an embodied state. Jesus' point in John 4 is that God is not bound to a geographical location. God is spirit. We are not ultimately spirits. We are bound to an embodied state. That is who we are. And let me just say this. Worship might at some level entail some kind of in, in interior and mystical moments. I've had some experiences in worship. Dr. Mike, you've had some experiences in worship that I'm not sure I could quite explain. Right? I mean, I've had some moments where, man, I just feel the presence of God in a way that is unique. But let me articulate something with utter clarity. None of those experiences for me or for Dr. Mike or for you happened outside of my body. They didn't. They happened right along with this fleshly body that I have, that God has given me and that God has given you. Here's what that means. That we do not have to search out mystical experiences in order to worship God appropriately. We just need to present what God has given us back to Him as an act of living sacrifice. Folks, the expectation of Christian worship, I hate to bring it down to such a simple and direct level, but that's what Paul does, is presenting our bodies back to the Lord. Now, if we really pause, if we really pause and think about this, we'll realize that God is asking quite a lot. 
He's asking not for a period of time in your week. He's not asking for a morning quiet time for 30 minutes a day. And he's not asking for the hour at worship on Sunday. He's asking for your bodies. Everything that you are. All that you think, all that you do with your hands, all that your eyes see, all the places your feet go. The expectation of Christian worship is to present your body as a living sacrifice. Why? Folks, ultimately God asks us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice because Christ gave his body as a dying sacrifice for us. Yes, God's asking a lot of us. He's asking everything of us. But he's not asking anything more of us than Jesus gave for us. Jesus didn't give his body, didn't give his life in some kind of mystical experience where he wasn't present in the suffering of the cross. Jesus gave his body on the cross. Suffering physically, spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically so that you and I would have forgiveness. And that's exactly Paul's point. Because the very second aspect of Christian worship, it's not just that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Note this, observe that Paul appeals to Christian worship. And the appeal is by the mercies of God. Why are we to present our bodies as a spiritual act of worship? Why are we to do that? It's because of the mercies of God, folks. It's what God has done for us. Go back and read the book of Romans. Uh, Paul's argument in Romans is that we're sinners through and through, chapter 1. And then the Jewish people who believe that they had the law, they're still sinners because they can't obey the law perfectly. Romans 3, that it is God's grace that offers us salvation and justification for our sinfulness. Folks, the mercies of God are simply the declarations of the gospel that Paul articulates all throughout the book of Romans. Read the book of Romans sometimes. Read it at, at one, if you can read it in one setting, read it. And note all the ways that God steps down from his glory in heaven through his son Jesus and offers us forgiveness, grace, mercy, and life. Paul doesn't appeal to us and say, hey, present your body a living sacrifice because, you know, God's a pretty nice guy. He says, God has given us mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Do you know what you and I deserve? We deserve judgment from God. We deserve punishment, eternal separation. God hasn't given us that. He's given us his mercies. That's the appeal. <clears throat> he goes on to present your <coughs> bodies as living sacrifices, <coughs> which is your spiritual worship. That word spiritual can be translated one of two ways. It can be translated reasonable or it can be translated logical. The word is logikos in the Greek language. Reasonable carries with it the idea, because of the mercies of God, the only thing that reasonably we can be expected to do is to present our bodies back to God as an act of worship. In other words, because of the glories of the gospel, the mercies of God, the graces of God in our lives, the only thing that really is reasonable for us to do in response is not to show up once on Sunday, you know, once a week on Sunday and sing a few songs to God and open the Bible and and, and do our Christian duty this week. That's a lot of times what we think of in terms of worship. And what Paul's saying is because of all the utter abundance that God has done for us, his mercies, his graces, his abundance, 
reasonable thing for us to do is to present our bodies back to God through and through, all of us, to God as an act of worship. The other way that that word can be translated would be the idea of being logical uh, or, or being spiritual. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of concept that not only is it reasonable, but it is something that we do internally, something we do thoughtfully. It's not something we do like just kind of happenstance. There's an intentionality to it. There's a spirituality to it. In other words, the reason I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice to God today is because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, the idea of mercies shows us the glories of the gospel. One way that we could describe this is that the New Testament, our religion is grace. Okay? Our ethics are gratitude. What we do in worship, the reason we worship is because of grace. It's because of God's mercies. It's because of God's abundance. How we respond in that is gratitude. We show our gratitude to God by giving our bodies back to Him as living sacrifices. That's the appeal. I want you to notice the challenge of Christian worship. Why do we struggle with this so? Because if we're all honest with each other today, and I'll be honest with you, I know this verse. I've memorized this verse. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. I've preached on this text. I've thought about this text. I've read through the book of Romans. I've taught through the book of Romans in Sunday school classes over the years. I've memorized some of the book of Romans. I love this book. 42 years old, I've been a pastor for more than 20 years. I've been at Wilkesboro Baptist Church for more than seven. I find it as challenging and difficult today to present my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord as I ever have in my Christian experience. And if you're honest, you're probably going to say the same thing. Be encouraged to go back and read Paul in Romans 7. He struggled with that as well. Why do we struggle? Because there's a challenge. The challenge is this, don't be conformed to this world. It goes on in verse 2. Here's why we struggle, don't be conformed to this world. What is our temptation to be conformed to this world? It's the idea that we are bound by the thought processes that govern the way society and culture functions. Where does that come from? Ultimately, folks, it comes from idolatry, wickedness, false worship. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, make a point here. The reason we struggle with conformity to societal and cultural values isn't primarily because we watch too much TV, listen to too many political ads, pay attention to too much music, isn't because we automatically think those values should be our values. Let me tell you where the heart of it is. The heart of the problem with cultural conformity is worship. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Watch this, verse 22, they claimed to be wise, they became fools, 
And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. You know what the problem with cultural conformity is? It's idolatry and not worshiping God as we ought to. That's the challenge. That, that, is, that is the place that the Christian church in America and all over the world resides. You want to get the presenting of your body right? Just worship God rightly. You know what I see all too often? I see it in my own heart. I see it in the hearts and lives of Christians all over America and all over the world. I see it in the hearts and lives of Christians even in our church. The problem is we're worshiping the wrong things. The problem is instead of seeing God as the preeminent, the only one worthy of our attention and worship and glory, we have exchanged His glory for something else. We said, I'm not going to give God attention today because I want to give this sports event attention. I, I don't want to give God attention today because I need to give money attention today. I need to work today. Or I need to enjoy this experience. Or I need to go to this place. Or I need to do this thing. And here's what we've done, Christian. Here's what we've done, church member. Here's what we've done, American Christian. We've done this in politics. We've put political figures on pedestals and idols and said, hey, this is more important than the way that I live my life as a follower of Jesus. We've done this, and here's what's happened. It has distracted us from the purpose for which we've been created, which is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, as our spiritual act of worship. And instead of focusing our attention solely on the glory of God and His praise and presenting ourselves back to Him, here's what we've done. We've become conformed to the world system and the world culture and to the way that the world operates. And it's wicked and it's sinful. And the issue is worship. That's the starting point for it all. Notice what else happens in Romans chapter 1. All of the de decadent evil behaviors that you and I would read in Romans 1 and we would say, man, that's our country. And it is. You know what the problem is? Sure, it's the behaviors. Sure, it's the sinfulness. Sure, it's the immorality. Absolutely, they're wrong. Why are they wrong? Where are, where's the starting point for them being wrong? It's worship, folks. They've exchanged God's glory for all sorts of other things. And do you know what the punishment for that is? Therefore, God gave them up to. Therefore, God gave them over to. Read Romans 1. The punishment is that the folks who decide they're not going to worship God, they get to live in the consequences of their own decisions and choices. I was reading in my devotions this morning, Psalm 135, talking about idols. Idols don't have eyes, they don't have ears, they don't have mouths, they can't speak and see. And then the text says, those who worship them are doomed to become like them. You want to know why our culture is so depraved and wicked and foolish and unrighteous and sinful? It's simply because our culture is acting like and the judgment of our culture 
is the idolatry that they've put in the place of God. The challenge, don't be conformed to this world. Don't become like this world. Don't invest in all of the stuff around us. Worship God rightly. And the, the, the specific expectation of worshiping God rightly is presenting our bodies back to the Lord as living sacrifices. Let me give you the, the fourth and final aspect of Christian worship. It's the purpose of Christian worship. It's that we're to be transformed into Christ's likeness. What, what's the purpose? Why does God have us here today? Why are you here at the 8 o'clock worship service at Wilkesboro Baptist Church? Why will we have two more worship services today? Why do we have Sunday school classes? Why do we have discipleship groups? What's the purpose? Is it because God needs another person or a group of people to sing praises to Him? Because God needs that? No. God doesn't need us. We're not here because God has a need. We're here because God wants to make us like Christ. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed. That word transformed is the same word used of Jesus in the book of Matthew and Mark regarding his transfiguration. Jesus was made something different in that moment. His face was transformed in, in, in front of those disciples. They were there watching that. Transformed. And by the way, in the Greek language, being transformed is a passive it's in the passive voice, but it is a verb that is expected. It means that you and I can't go out one day and say, I'm going to transform myself into the image of Christ. I'm just going to make myself like Jesus. I'm going to do so by behavior. I'm going to do so by law. I'm going to do so by choices. Because that's our temptation. Our temptation walking out of a text like this is to say, I'm just going to do better. Okay, pastor says I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. Man, I'm going to do that better today than I did yesterday. And I'm going to act according to the law. No, being transformed is something God does to us. Or rather, God does in us. How does he do that? It's the gospel, folks. The only way Jesus ever saved you isn't because you decided, hey, I'm going to do good today. That was the Jewish problem in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to do good. I'm going to obey the law. They couldn't obey the law enough. No, they had to be changed from the inside by the work of the Holy Spirit. Being transformed... What God expects of us in order to give our bodies back as a living sacrifice is an act of the glory of God working in our hearts, bringing us into a Christ-likeness. And the goal, by the way, of Christian worship is for you to look like Jesus. That's what it means for our heart to be made right. There are a lot of folks that sing well there are a lot of folks that give well. There are a lot of folks that show up consistently. Sometimes I show up consistently. I'm your pastor. You want to know something? God's goal for me isn't to preach a clear sermon. Although that's pretty important, I think, in my role and calling. God's goal is to make me like Jesus. God's goal in Christian worship is for me to be more humble and be more filled with grace and more like Christ today than it was yesterday. I can prove it. That was Paul's whole point. Romans 8.29, a wonderful verse, 8.28. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We love that verse. You know what verse 29 says? For those whom God predestined, He predestined. Why? We struggle with that word. I'm not going to get into the details of it. We struggle with it. But God predestined us, what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. The whole purpose of the book of Romans and the gospel, and the whole purpose of Christian worship is for you and I to be transformed to the image of Christ.
Paul's going to give a whole list of ethical expectations. Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Whole list. At least 15 times in the specific ethical expectations Paul gives to the church at Rome, at least 15 times he's either making a direct quote of what Jesus taught in the Gospels, or he's making a clear allusion to what Jesus taught in the Gospels. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that conformity to the person of Christ is the goal, and what we're to behave like is what Jesus told us we're to behave like. That's God's goal. His goal is to make you like Jesus. That has a lot to do with our corporate worship experience. Do you realize that nothing in any place in the New Testament or Old Testament, and nothing in this text, tells us that the goal of Christian worship when we gather for a corporate spiritual experience is having a good time? I like having a good time. I like a good experience. I like hearing a song that, that challenges my heart. I like hearing a song that, that rejoices my soul. But the goal of us gathering is not a good experience. It's the goal of us gathering. The goal of us reading Scripture. The goal of us hearing the Word preached. The goal of us singing songs is being made more like Christ. And if our gathered experiences, regardless of the form and the ritual and the ceremony that they take, if they make us more like Christ, that's the goal. That's the purpose. God wants you to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And if this service doesn't help you become more like Jesus then there's either a problem with us and what we're leading and what we're telling and what we're declaring, and maybe there is. I, 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 am, I am willing to admit, Dr. Mike and I, Retta and Dustin, all of us that are worship leaders, we're not perfect. We get things wrong sometimes. But I'm going to tell you who doesn't get anything wrong, God doesn't. So if this is the framework of what we're preaching and teaching and the gospel underscores what we're communicating, then this part's not the wrong part. What we sing and pray, as long as scriptural truth is not the wrong part. So if our worship isn't making us more like Christ, then you know what the problem is? It's right here. We're worshiping the wrong things. We're intentionally or unintentionally being conformed to the cultural values around us rather than being transformed by the God of glory and grace who wants to make us look like Christ. Christian, he closed the service to you with this. If God were to shine a light on your body and soul, outwardly, would you look like that glorious ship designed 400 years ago? Devasa? Would your outward expression of worship look okay? How would your ballast be doing on the inside? Do you look more like Christ? I'm not talking about just outward stuff. Do you look more like Christ because of the character He is developing in you? 
Unbeliever, if you're here today, let me just say this. Christ died so that you can have eternal life. The reason Paul says to the Christian brothers here, present your bodies a living sacrifice, is a cause for 11 chapters he has described the dying sacrifice Christ made for our souls. Someone's going to stand in judgment for your idolatry and sinfulness. It's either going to be you, because you choose, I'm going to do all these things that I want to do. And God's going to say, okay, you can do all those things you want to do. But come the end of time, when you stand before God in judgment, you'll have to answer for those behaviors. And if it's not utter absolute holiness, then you're going to stand under God's judgment. The reason Paul can ask of us to present our bodies the living sacrifice, folks, is because Jesus took that judgment on our behalf. And if you'll trust in Jesus as your Savior and forgiver, then guess what he'll do? He'll take your judgment. Well, he did take your judgment for you. And he'll give you eternal life. He'll change you from the inside out. Would you trust him as your Lord and Savior? I'll be honest with you. I think this was one of the texts of Scripture I was most looking forward to preaching in this sermon series. And as I got to studying it, as I got ready to preach it, it was kind of one I wanted to ignore. Because there are plenty of areas in my own life where I know I don't look like Jesus. And he's pointed those areas out to me this week. Christian, this is what God wants for us. May God have his work and his will and his way. By the way, that's his will. His will is to make you look like Jesus. That's the whole point of chapter 2. It's not to show you what choice you're supposed to make in your life. His will is to make you look like Jesus. May God have his will in our lives and make us look more like his son. Stand with me, if you will. Father, if I'm truly honest, I've tried to be with you this week, and you know that. And this morning, I've tried to be with our congregation. You know that as well. There are plenty of places in my life where my words, my thoughts, and my behaviors, my desires look a whole lot more like conformity to this world than like the image of your son, Jesus. Father, forgive me for that. We come to you as a congregation, a place of humility and surrender. We ask, Lord, that you help us be made like Christ. May it start with us reviewing the glories and mercies of your gospel and presenting our bodies, no matter who we are, where we are, what we're doing today, what we're doing next week, what we're doing next year, presenting ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, trusting you to take what we, have, what we are, which in some cases is not a whole lot. Take it for your glory and make us into the image of your son, Jesus. For your glory and for your worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 